Bible with you this morning. You want to be turning there. We're going to be taking some scripture out of the book of Exodus in uh, chapter 12. And uh, I would imagine this is a reasonably familiar scripture or chapter uh, to everyone. This, of course, is during the time of the children of Israel being uh, uh, in bondage in uh, Egypt and uh, that in this particular part, it's kind of coming to a head, so to speak, that uh, they're getting ready to be turned loose. All of the plagues have been poured out on Egypt and the Pharaoh is still holding on and uh, you know that, that God has made the final uh, 10th plague, the firstborn to die. And, uh, you know, when, when we read this, and I, I've had to, I guess you could say, purpose in my heart to not look at Pharaoh and think I'm so much better than him. Uh, because a lot of times God will show us things and God will be patient with us and minister to us. And because of the hardness of our own hearts, uh, we'll turn away his word or we'll go our own way. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess to sum this entire message up this morning is beware of self-reliance. Uh, self-reliance can be a bit of a problem for especially the Christian. And uh, I, I made a mistake there. We need to be in chapter 11, not chapter 12. Uh, you know, and it, it describes in chapter 11 here uh, the, the plague as it is. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 1 in Exodus chapter 11. Uh, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more, one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. In verse 4 it says, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even into the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. That God in this decree here, he tells them, he said, I'm going to come and I'm essentially going to judge the nation of Israel that uh, in the 12th chapter, God basically tells Moses, he says, I'm going to put an end to the Egyptian gods. I'm going to lay all this to rest, that I'm going to remove all doubt uh, as to who's actually in charge. And I think a lot of times in our life, if we're not careful and we get self-reliant, and, and believe you me, in raising a son, having been a son, that I was taught 
to be self-reliant. Uh, but I think that self-reliant should come with that little asterisk next to it that you see all the time uh, in the fine print. That yes, it's good to be self-reliant, but to remember that above all, there's a God in heaven. Because I remember as a boy growing up and, and as a teenager and seeing the things that my dad could do and the things that he knew and everything. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to be that way. I'm never going to be that guy that uh, uh, has a, a, a body of knowledge you know, that just seems to be inexhaustible and uh, be able to know how to do so many different things. Uh, uh, and what I was doing was I was comparing myself to somebody who had a lot of experience in life, uh, and his dad would put it, uh, a degree from the school of hard knocks. Uh, but even in that, uh, I remember looking back uh, uh, that how many times that he would be upon his knees in prayer, uh, asking God for his help, uh, uh, not leaning to his own understanding, uh, because the moment that we we start thinking uh, that we can handle something, uh, that we're big enough, strong enough, and good enough uh, uh, to deal with the difficulties of this life, uh, that's about the time we're ripe for a fall. The Apostle Paul cautioned against that when he said, anything, any man that thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. And when we read these scriptures and we read about Pharaoh and everything, uh, Pharaoh went with what worked for him so far. Uh, uh, he was lifted up in his pride. Uh, and it's the same as we do when some kind of difficulty comes along in our life. Uh, and we say, I can handle this. I can take care. I've been here before. Uh, I know how this is going to go. And we say, I don't really need to pray about that. I don't really need to uh, uh, consort with God about these things uh, because I know how it's going to go. Uh, even if you do, uh, even if you have all confidence, uh, uh, you should look around and say, if the Lord allows me, uh, I'll make it through this. Uh, if God sees fit to bless me uh, and to help me, I know. Uh, and if God departs from me or allows me to suffer, uh, that He has a plan. Because the children of Israel are essentially told here, God has a plan. God's going to come in amongst this. And we know uh, uh, that the big thing was uh, uh, that God told him, He said, you take uh, uh, the firstling of the flock, uh, uh, a lamb, and you kill it, uh, and you put its blood uh, upon the lintel and upon the doorpost. Uh, and when this avenging spirit comes through, uh, that He will pass over, uh, uh, that He'll move throughout the land, uh, uh, that death that come upon everybody, uh, and said that He will see the blood and he'll pass over and he told him now after that this has taken place you're going to keep this from now on and it's still kept today it's around the same time as we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think that it was now that I'm sure word got to the Egyptians about this blood thing. But Pharaoh wouldn't hear it. Pharaoh, no. Nobody can touch my son. Nobody can hurt my son. Nobody can come into my house and do anything because I'm the Pharaoh. And maybe he was trusted in those Egyptian gods in order to protect his family. But when it's all said and done, Pharaoh relied on what he knew and it failed him. It'd be no different than you putting all your trust in me and me falling short. Me letting you down. 
And a lot of times it may be that we have somebody that we can count on. They're a friend through thick and thin. There's somebody that sticks with us like a brother. But at a certain time, their ability, their strength, it all has a limit. And their life is finite. Because I can't help but think about how often it was now uh, uh, that God said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Uh, uh, essentially saying, uh, I'm not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Uh, and how that it was now uh, uh, that people began to rely upon themselves. Uh, not too long after this, they go out into the wilderness. They're able to get loose. Uh, and they make their trip. Uh, it says now that, that they... Pharaoh thrust them out of Egypt, basically saying, here, let me get your bags for you. You guys got to go. Now, if you remember all the way back in the book of Genesis, when they came there, they came there as Pharaoh's guests. They came there because of Joseph. When Joseph come to the end of his life, he told them, he said, look, surely God will visit you in this place. And when He does, you carry my bones up from hence. Because Joseph knew he wasn't going to be able to bring them out. But he trusted in that God, long after Joseph had passed away, God would visit and He would bring them out. And if you look back, Throughout the Old Testament, they begin to talk about it, the, the very tip top of God's power. That a lot of times they talk about them coming through the Red Sea. They talk about that walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And yet when God talks to him, he says, I am the Lord your God which brought you up out of Egypt. They would have never been able to leave Egypt under their own ability and under their own power. But it was God that brought them out. And it wasn't just the thing at the Red Sea. Because this, the killing of the firstborn, and God showing that Pharaoh had no power and no might, that was what set them free. And how they avoided the death that come through that land. You see, it visited every house. Walked by every door. But only the doors with the blood applied in obedience to the Word of God. That was the only ones that death passed over. Everywhere else that that happened. You know, and I, I can think about, uh, uh, you know, being a, a prideful man and looking around and saying, well, I don't think we really need to do that. You know, that, that lamb, that's the best one I've got. And it ain't cheap to get one. Maybe you didn't have a flock of your own. And you had to go out and buy one. And it's going to cost a lot. And maybe like me, you're not the firstborn. It's not that big of a deal to you. But to that firstborn, hey, let's not leave anything to chance. Maybe it's real easy to say, no, I can get by on my own and I can do it myself. But rather, as the firstborn, you'd say, let's trust in the Word of God. Let's not leave it to chance. Let's believe. And those that believed went and got it and did just exactly like God said. I believe the Word went throughout the entire land. That the Egyptians heard it, but they didn't believe it. They didn't hearken to it. But the children of Israel, they knew. They'd seen all the other plagues and they knew where they were coming from. And they knew that God had visited them upon them. Because if you fall into self-reliance, you'll begin to discount what God can do in your life. And it's real easy to do that, especially when you're young. 
I remember when I was younger and how that I would rely upon myself right up until my strength failed or I couldn't figure out a good plan. Everything I tried didn't work. You ever had one of those days where you encounter a problem and you think, I know how to handle this. I've been through this before. And then everything you do just turns to garbage. And it won't work. And you rely upon yourself. As I've said many times, I, I, I went to school to be an auto mechanic. And there's been more than a few times when I've gotten under the hood or underneath of a vehicle and I've worked on it and beat my knuckles bloody and dropped things in my face and hurt myself and just got all out of sorts and just thinking, I've done this before. Why isn't it working? And there's been several different times right down there in my garage that I've knelt down and said, Lord, help me. It's obvious I'm not good enough. It's obvious that I can't make this work. Or as I would pray every time before I submitted a bid when I was in construction work. I, I was never willing to submit a bid without praying over it. And saying, God, you know what's under the ground. I don't. There were times when we would get out on those job sites uh, and they would have these plans and say, now there's the existing structures here and this stuff's underground here. You'd start digging and it wouldn't be there. Or you'd start digging and they'd say, oh no, there's nothing over here. It's a wide open field. And you'd dig and find a big tank in the ground or something like that. You never knew what was going to happen. And I learned to trust God that whatever we did, I wanted Him to be able to bless. And I would also say, God, I know that I can't win them all. But God, give me the ones you would have me. And protect me from the ones that would hurt me. And I firmly believe that He did. You see, because I could sit down right now and work up a bid on one of them jobs. And I can tell you, it's an intricate process. But the very first one that I ever did, I didn't know what I was doing. And I prayed and asked for God's help daily. Asked Him to help me on that. And I can tell you, it turned out all right. Did everything go my way? Goodness, no. Did everything turn out to be very profitable? Absolutely not. But I can tell you that I put my trust in God and the things that I had to get right, I got right. And it wasn't because of me and my abilities or anything. It was because that I looked around and said, God, I am not sufficient to this task. Help me. Uh, uh, show me what I need to do. Or God, I don't care how smart I am. Uh, because as I got experience, there was a couple of times I got away from that. And started relying on self. And made some big mistakes. And this is no different than life itself. We go out. We have a plan. We look around and say, God, give the portion that falls to me and I'll go out and do the things I want to do. And then about the worst time that calamity can happen, we've spent all and exhausted every resource. Just like that prodigal son. You know that the famine in the land didn't really happen until he'd spent all of his money. He might have survived had he not done that. And he learned a lesson in that. And he learned that he couldn't be self-reliant. And you remember what he did is he looked around and said, I'm going to go back to my father's house because at least there I'll survive. He wasn't worried about thriving anymore. He was just worried about surviving. And here in the book of Exodus, you'll find that the nation of Israel, there seemed to be no way, no way that they could make it. No way that they could get out of Egypt. And then they're able to leave. And they get right in front of the Red Sea, and here come the Egyptians to kill them. And God tells them, He says, 
get you one last long look at the Egyptians because this is the last time you're going to see those guys. And God parts the Red Sea and they go through. And if you read, you'll find that they stop and they sing a song on the other side of the Red Sea. But it's not too awfully long down the road that they make a golden calf and they turn their backs on God. But God sustains them and takes care of them the whole time. When they get out there and they're hungry, God gives them manna. God sends them quail. God blesses them in the midst of wandering in a wilderness. But it's real easy to look around on your own victories and say, no, I did this. No, you didn't. You did it with God's help. It's real easy to get lifted up in yourself. But the problem is, is the very time that you do, that'll be the very time that you need God most. The most ready example I can think of this in the New Testament is when Jesus suggests to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, those guys are boatmen. They're like, well, sure, that's no big deal, Jesus. We'll just, we'll go straight across. We won't hug the shoreline or anything like that. It's a Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake. They call it a sea, but it's smaller than a lot of the so-called lakes in the world. And they take out across it, and they had fished that lake for years. They were Galileans. They knew what that lake was like. And I believe about the time that they got out in the middle... To where that land wasn't close by. It says that a tempest arose against them. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. And a lot of times you see God will allow us to struggle in our own ability. We think we've got a solution. The disciples thought we can handle this. Maybe Peter and Andrew or James and John looked at each other and like, this, this is just like that one. That happened to us a couple of years ago. We made it through that. We'll be fine. And so they set to work. Doing everything they know to do. And I'll go ahead and say they probably did everything right. Except before they ever bailed the first bit of water. Before they ever rowed the first oar. They didn't turn to the man that was in the boat. And say, Lord, we know that you can make us make it across this even when we can't. Because at a certain point, what happened to them was that their strength began to fail them as they were bailing the water out of the boat, as they were trying to steer it, as they were trying to take care of everything. And I've been there. It feels like you're in quicksand when your very own brain begins to betray you because of a chemical imbalance or whatever you want to call it. And suddenly, you're not able to self-extract. And that's what happened to them. And they woke Jesus up. And they said, don't you care that we perish? You ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> Lord, I'm dying here. I can't, I can't do this. Maybe with gritted teeth because you're angry. Jesus, it's your fault we're out here anyway. It was your idea. But he looked at him and he said, where is your faith? And sometimes when you're amidst a great difficulty, maybe you need to stop and ask yourself, wait a minute, what am I trusting in here? Am I being self-reliant? And trust me, self-reliance is a good thing and learning skills and all that. Uh, but if your self-reliance isn't couched in, if the Lord allows, that's a problem. That's a problem for the Christian. But you see, Jesus, all He did, He didn't grab a bucket and start bailing water and saying, you guys are tired, I got this. 
He didn't look at them and say, well, what we've got to do is we've got to steer the boat on this course and do all these things. But rather, he uses the word of the Most High God. And he says, peace, be still. And he says, immediately. You know, I'd love to see the Hollywood special effects guy deal with that one. (laughs) You know, to where there's just this storm just tossing them to and fro. And then Jesus says, peace, be still. And it's just like a a shockwave goes out from his voice. And the wind and the waves are like, oh, sorry. (laughs) I didn't realize that was you, Jesus. Because it says they looked around and marveled and said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves, they're obedient to him. And you see, if he can do that for them, what can he do for you? If you'll just trust him. And a lot of times self-reliance comes, and and what I mean about this is putting your faith in self-reliance. Being self-reliant in and of itself is not bad. I I see that as kind of the same thing as like the Bible says about being rich. Being rich is not sinful. Trusting in your riches, that's where the sin is. Putting your trust there. Just the same as yes, it's okay to be self-reliant and to know how to do a lot of different things. But trusting in that over top of God, that's a problem. Think about it in the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel, when it is that uh, the nation of Israel has been duking it out with the Philistines for a while, and the Philistines whip them, they go and get the Ark of the Covenant, they bring it in, a mighty shout, it says, goes up. They say, we have the recipe for victory, we know how to win. They show up on the battlefield with the Ark of the Covenant, but they don't show up having held to the covenant that that Ark represented. Having put God first in their lives and saying, well, maybe there's sin in the camp. Maybe we've turned away from God. And if God doesn't go with us, regardless of what this box does, we are not going to win. And what happens is the Philistines say, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to meet them on battle. And they do and they whip them and they take the ark from them. Because God's glory had departed from that. That's the same as we do a lot of times when a crisis comes up and we say, oh God, I'm going to trust in you, but really we're trusting in a doctor. Now once again, don't discount the doctor and what they can do, but put God first. Because if you're self-reliant, you're putting self first. And God doesn't want us there. That the nation of Israel here, that they had to learn to trust God from the very beginning. This was getting them ready to be out in the wilderness and to look up and say, God, I see as a pillar of fire. I see as a pillar of cloud. And I know that if I follow you, that everything's going to be okay. But instead, if you go off on your own way, and you're well within your right. You know, a lot of people run around and they say, well, if God's so powerful, why doesn't He just make everybody love Him? Somebody would pose that question to theologians frequently. Why doesn't God just make people love Him and be good? And I heard a minister one time answer that question. This is not my wisdom. This is the wisdom God saw fit to give that man. A person asked him that in a question and answer. And he said, it was, it was a young woman, if I remember right. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been pursued by a young man that you didn't like? That, that, that you felt no feelings for? And she said, well, yeah. And, she, and he said, but he probably cared very deeply for you. Maybe even to the point of love. Maybe it was beyond infatuation. And that he actually was in love with you. And he said, have you ever told one of them that you weren't interested and you wanted them to leave you alone? 
She said, yeah. And he said, did some listen? She said, yeah. And he said, the ones that listened probably actually cared very deeply for you. He said, that's the same way that God is by us. He loves us deeply. But if we don't want Him, He's not going to force Himself on us. He loves us enough to let us choose Him. He loves us enough to let us fail on our own rather than to force His way into our lives. But the moment that we cry out, the moment that we look around and lay pride in the dust and say, God, I need You. I can't do this on my own. I can't rely on myself. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. That's the moment He's ready to come in. Because just like that prodigal son, he looked around and realized, I need to go back to my father's house because I can't take care of myself. I had that realization on, uh, well, I guess it was about July 5th of 2000. Two days after my father had taken his own life. And I looked around, you know, and I counted on him. Never had to ask him for help. He was always there. There's a few times I didn't want his help and he helped me anyway. I ended up needing it. And I remember looking at him and I remember looking at what was laid out before me and I was newly married, hadn't been married just barely a year. Had a child on the way. And suddenly this business come to me because he had passed away and I didn't know how to run it. I didn't know everything that I knew I needed to know in order to be able to take care of it. And so I wandered and toiled and thought, I can't live up to this guy. All the stuff that he knew how to do. I mean, that's why when I read what Solomon said when God come to him and said, ask what you will. And Solomon looked around and said, you know, David was a, a, a mighty man and he knew how to go out to war and to come back in and he was a king and he was a man's man and I just feel so little next to him. And I felt that way. But there was a few months later, you see, the Lord brought me to a point of where that I could trust in Him. And one of the last things that I realized before I give my heart to the Lord was that Dad didn't stand because he was so strong, but it was because he trusted in God. Put his faith in Him. Just as King David did. King David, he made a lot of mistakes, but he still knew how to trust God. He knew how to put his faith in God and not to rely solely on self because the mistakes that David made a lot of times, it was because that he tried to rely on himself. He'd look around and say, you know, I'm the guy that killed Goliath. I ought to be allowed to take my neighbor's wife. And of course, he made one of his biggest and most well-known mistakes in that. But you see, we, we do that all the time. We look around we think we have the solution to the problem. I've had instances where that I've set out to do something. And, and, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. But like I'll go down to my wood shop. To work on something. To create something. Something that to me is simple in the creation. Now I think, I'll knock this out 10-15 minutes. Have that done. Move on to the next thing. And maybe I need to plane a board down. And the planer knives are dull. And so I've got to sharpen the planer knives. And that's about an hour. And then I look around. And the uh, on-off switch to my planer is messed up. And I have to fix that. Have you ever had those days where the, you set out to do something and it just seems like everything goes wrong and you thought that you knew how it was going to go beforehand. But you see, God knows. 
He knows how it's going to go beforehand. And a lot of times we set out and we think we have the solution to a problem. Now the Israelites here that we just read about, they had the solution to the problem of the death angel coming through the camp. But later on, they find themselves not trusting in God and relying on their own abilities. That in the 17th chapter of this same book, you'll find them going out to battle against the Amalekites. And if you remember, Moses points at Joshua. And he says, Joshua, pick out the strong, mighty, valiant men. And we're going to have to go out into the valley of Rephidim and fight against the Amalekites. And maybe somebody else said, well, Moses, what are you going to do? You know, you're the leader of this whole thing. What are you going to be doing? And Moses says, I'm going to be up on the hill above there with the rod of God in my hands held up in praise before God. And so Joshua and all the men down in the valley, maybe they were looking up saying, you know what? I mean, I know Moses is 80 years old or so, but he could be down here encouraging us and helping us. And maybe some of them thought along those lines and they began to fight with the Amalekites uh, and they began to walk all over them. Started winning the fight and it wasn't even difficult. Uh, and Moses there on the hillside uh, uh, with his hands held up and then kind of occasionally looking up there. And that was all he was doing. Uh, was just had his hands up before the Most High God. Uh, and they were fighting and winning. Uh, and Moses now, his spirit was willing but his flesh was weak. And he said after a period of time, his arms began to droop. His arms got tired. I don't know about you all, but it's quite the task just to hold your arms up for a really long time. You'll start getting out of breath. Your shoulders will start aching. The bones and stuff will start hurting. And so his arms began to fall. And as his arms fell, the Amalekites suddenly got their groove back. And began to push the Israelites back. And the battle began to go against them. And then Moses would see that. And get his arms back up. And Israel would begin to push him back again. And every time they got to noticing that every time that Moses' arms would begin to fall. That the battle would go against them. Because the battle wasn't theirs. It was God's. And that Moses in worship of God. He was saying, God, I trust you to win down there in Rephidim. Because we can't win without you. And so they come up with a grand strategy of how to win that battle against the Amalekites. They said, somebody get up here and help Moses hold his hands up. And said that when they did that, they brought a rock. Said, here Moses, you sit down. We see now that if your arms go down, we all go down. But if we trust in the Most High God, we'll win. What that showed them was they couldn't win without God. And I'll go ahead and tell you this, you can't win without God. Because you think about when this life comes to an end. And we stand before God, you know, and, and there's been all kinds of allegories and funny stories and anecdotes and things like that that have been told over the years about trying to gain entrance into heaven. But think about it. If they were to ask you, why do you think you have a right to heaven? Why do you think you should make it? And if any answer that you give relies on self, then it, it won't work. It can't. Rather than looking and saying because of Jesus, He is the one that's paid my ticket. He's the one that I'm trusting in. That's where my faith is. 
Because you see, the disciples fell into this same notion. If you think about it, right before the crucifixion of Christ, and Christ was telling them, you know, that uh, the shepherd would be smitten and the flock would be scattered. And Peter says, not me. Uh-uh. Lord, I'll go with you even if it kills me. You know, Peter, I think, found out how quickly, or he found out how cheap talk really is. And when Peter said this, and I've missed this for a long time, was that when he said this, the whole group, yeah, they amened what Peter said. Yeah, what Peter said. He said it, but we're going to do it too. But Jesus looks at Peter and he tells him, before this night is out, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And Peter, nah, that'll never happen. I'm strong. I can hang in. I'm not afraid to die. It's real easy to say that when death isn't imminent. But we know how the story turns out. And you see, they, they, and now you think about all that Peter and the disciples had seen to that point. Peter had seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. He'd seen him take a little girl that was obviously dead, and everybody knew she was dead, and tell her, Arise, and she arises. Seen him raise Lazarus, seen him do all these things, all the miracles, the way John put it, he said he did a lot of other things. The world couldn't contain the book if you wrote it all down. They had all seen this. But when they come and took him to kill him, they literally all scattered. Peter followed at a distance. But they every one fell away. But don't judge them too harshly because we had the benefit of hindsight. We had the benefit to be able to look around. Well, here's what they should have done. To look around and be their Monday morning quarterback. Rather than say, you know what, I probably wouldn't have been any different. But you see how they were after they met the resurrected Christ. After that, that same Peter who was terrified of the Sanhedrin, terrified to go before the high priest, says that he goes up to the temple, him and John, at the time of worship and sees a man laying there begging alms. And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any silver and gold for you, but what I do have I give to you freely in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get up and walk and says the man leaps up. And you would think, well, that's great. Everybody's going to carry Peter out there on their shoulders. And Peter ends up arrested and stands before the Sanhedrin court himself. They tell him, how'd you do this? By what power did you do this? And he said, I did it by Jesus Christ. He was given a second chance. Thank God God gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. Because he was given a chance to deny again. But he said, look, you tried to kill him and death had no power over him. And because he lives, I'm not fear death. I'm not relying on myself anymore. I'm trusting in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, so I did it by the name of Jesus, whom you all crucified, and yet I know is alive and alive forevermore. And he says, do your worst. And this isn't the only run-in he has with them. Have him in prison one night ready to be executed the next day. And when the angel of the Lord comes to turn him loose, he's asleep. He's resting the restful sleep of a man who doesn't fear death. You know, they say, and I, 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 I kind of 
See where this comes from, they say when you're particularly exhausted. That I imagine we've all been there at some point. And when you lay down to sleep, that your body begins to shut down a lot faster than normal. And there's, a, there's people in the medical community that say, and I've done this before, I've observed it, a lot of times you're laying there and you're, just, you're, you're crashing fast. You're going to sleep. And then all of a sudden your body will just give a big jump or a twitch. And they say that that's your brain saying, hey, we're not dying, are we? It's saying, things are shutting down awful fast here. Need to make sure we still got control. Yeah, we're not dying. But you think about how close we are to death at any given time. It's one missed heartbeat. That's all that it takes. You know that uh, I, you know, I thought for years, and I, I'm by no means a medical professional, and I'm not even a big fan of biology. Students all the time come to me and ask me questions, you know, that a doctor would know the answer to. And I'm like, I don't know, but you're a science teacher. Yeah, but I'm not a doctor. But like on those TV shows, and we've all watched them, you know, where somebody dies and they get out the paddles and they rub them together like they do. And I even found out, you know, that's some kind of gel that they're putting on them. And then they put them on there and they tell everybody clear and they shock them and the body jumps and everything. And then the heart starts beating again. Well, I found out that if the heart is truly completely stopped, not because I guess when you're in that sinus rhythm or whatever, it's sitting there quivering. That they can shock that. But if it just completely stops, there's no bringing them back. That's it. It's over. It's not, it's not a shockable rhythm, as they call it. And I think about how easy it is, how fragile that this life is. And that every time we lay down, we should be really considering, Lord, if I don't wake up, I'm trusting You. Because... I can't wake up on my own. I can't get out of this bed on my own. I can't rely on myself. I don't even know what's going on while I'm asleep. But God, you know, you never sleep. And your eye is ever upon me. And Lord, I trust you. I, I can't lean to my own understanding. I've got to trust you. That that's all that Jesus wanted his disciples to do when he prays there in, uh, I believe it's John 16. And he's praying for all of the believers. He first prays for his disciples. And he said, I in them and Lord, you in me. That he was telling, he was essentially praying, saying, Lord, let them always trust in you through me. Do we trust in God through his son, Jesus Christ, for everything, for our next meal? You know, it should never just be a tradition or a habit. To bow your head before you eat and pray. That it should be, God, I know that without you sending the sun and the rain, that this food that I have before me wouldn't even be possible. One of the things that I teach about when I teach sixth grade is about extinction level events. And there's an extinction level event that they, they propose and that it's actually happened at one point in Earth's history in which that there was a collision with a celestial object and it threw a bunch of dust and rock and dirt and stuff into the air and blocked out the sun to where plant life couldn't hardly grow and that everything, nearly everything on the planet died because of that. And we look around and we think, oh, we're in so much control. And I can tell you this, we can't make the sun burn not one second longer if God doesn't allow it to do so. We can't 
save ourselves. We can't help ourselves. We're so reliant upon God. But the arrogance of knowledge and self-reliance would tell us, oh no, we can take care of ourselves. And Nebuchadnezzar, he learned that the hard way. You know, God warned him and said, you know, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. Seven years are going to pass over you. And then at the end of that seven years, your understanding is going to return to you. Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of that seven years, he said he looked up and he realized, <laughs> you know what, I can't even slow God down, much less stop Him. And he ended up trusting in God. I pray that we never have to go that far in order to put our trust fully in the Most High God. That we can rely on ourselves and it'll get us, it'll get us some of the way. But all of it is couched in whether or not God allows this heart Keep beating. All of it allowed, all of it stands in that if and when this heart does stop beating, what comes next? And if it's not trust in Jesus Christ when this heart stops beating, then it's an eternity in hell. That's the only other option. We can't rely on ourselves to get to heaven. Can't rely on ourselves to even continue living one more second. Or as Jesus said, who of you through taking thought can increase his stature one cubit? I mean, you can't, you can't will yourself to grow. But if Jesus wanted you to, you could. And Jesus and all the things that He did, though, the most important thing that He did was He surrendered Himself to the will of the Most High God. And He's our example. Shouldn't we surrender ourselves to the will of the Most High God rather than relying on self? Let's all stand and get a song.